Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am your birthday girl, Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I am excellent because it's hard to not be excellent when it's your birthday week. That's right. (laughs) I said birthday week because when you're in your 30s, you get a birthday week. And when I hit my 40s, I get a birthday month. And anybody who wants to go against that can fight me. I mean, they can fight me too. You deserve a whole birthday week. Next uh, next time, next month will be your birthday week. So yeah. that'll be awesome. Yeah. I uh, have very little things planned for my birthday week, but yeah. <laughs> so I have seen my grandpa this last weekend, which was cool. I got to see Sarah and the twins. So Aww. much has happened. I uh, went to see a show at Pizza Luce twice this weekend. There were two of them, which almost yeah. never happens. Uh, never happens. I've got my birthday show coming up this Friday, July 22nd. It's going to be Narwhals, Boogeyman, and Megatron at RT Quinlan's at 8 p.m. That's going to be fucking rad as hell. Fucking rad. I'm so excited. And the thing that everybody cares about the most, I'm sure, I have a new fictional character crush. What? Who? His name is Eddie, and he's from Stranger Things. Oh, I was just reading an article about him. And so, no spoilies, but I just, I just, I love him. I um, love him. He's, he's a cutie. I mean, I'm not a super big fan of his hair in Stranger Things. Honestly, I'm, I, that's why I say I have a crush on the character, is because the hair you totally like the hair? does it for me. It completely oh, does it, it for would. me. That makes sense. Well, what, what did you once say that you... You like dudes with accents, like hick accents and missing teeth and who smokes cigarets and I don't know, whatever. You're talking about my hockey players, like how I simp for hockey players. Yeah, but this is like the scrawny D&D boy crush. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, is very fitting for my current. The scrawny D&D boy with long hair, it's very fitting for my my partner, Sean, out there. Uh, Yeah, except he's like blonde, like blonde, blonde. Yes. Eddie is not. No, but I mean, not. what can you do? Sean's a natural blonde. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as a part of my birthday thing, everybody uh-huh. just be prepared. I did an episode takeover. So, yes. Yes, be- she did. Before we get to that, how are you, Brittany? Uh I'm really good. I'm very warm. I might make references to this uh, throughout the show. I actually asked Kayla before before we got on. I'm like, is it is it too hot for wine? And then she said, it's never, never too, too hot, hot for, for wine. wine, which I, I kind of don't know if I believe, but I am going to go ahead and open up this bottle of Apothic Pinot Noir real quick. You know what? Fuck it. You know, even when even when uh, wine is red, just put ice cubes in it. Oh, I've got no ice cubes, and yes, I only drink red wine. My aunt, who is who listens, is probably very upset with me right now. She hates it when people put ice cubes in her wine. Uh, yeah, it waters <laughs> it down. It's just like people who put ice cubes in their orange juice. Like, what is wrong with you, you heathens? I love ice cubes in my orange juice. Come on, lift. Heave. Uh, but uh, here we go. 
Oh, you want you want to get some of that good good poor porn? Yep. Oh, I hope nobody listening has to pee right now because that would be terrible. Well, if they didn't before, now they do. <laughs> uh, anyway, me. Uh, I've been good. Last week was insane. Um, absolutely insane. I had work stuff to do, like events, like fun events, but just busy. It was a busy, busy week at work. Sidewalk days, yep. happy hour market, yep. all good, fun things. Um, mm-hmm. And then also my bosses. Today is her last day before leaving for two weeks. So I had to also get everything done that needed to be done before she left because she was going to be incommunicado on a boat off on Lake Superior. So I'm on a boat and it's going fast and I got a nautical theme pashmina afghan. Okay, that is a fucking awesome song. I don't know what that is, but I love it. You don't know I'm on a boat? Is that the... Is the Andy I'm Sandberg. on a boat? Okay, yeah, so okay, so I did not know that lyric from it, but yes, I do know that song. It's the part there goes, um, "I'm the king of the world on a boat like Leo. If you on the show, then you show not Mio." Get I do know the that fuck part. Up, this boat <laughs> is real. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but okay, I'm getting very distracted very easily. The best part, Kayla, is that a plumber came for <laughs> three months. Kayla, we have had to like if we do the laundry, we have to literally take a little pump and then p- run a hose and pump it outside because the sink fills up, and then the like tank or whatever the fuck is underneath our house started to overflow. So like last night, I took a shower. And then we have this, like, um, Ninja Turtle cap in the basement. And it was actually, like, lifting up from all the sewage, like, pushing its way up. It's been gross. Steve has been an absolute motherfucking doll. And he is always the one who does all the gross stuff. I'm the one who just sits outside with a hose and is, like, barely has to do anything yucky. But the plumber came. Everything works now. I can do my laundry. No big deal. I can do the dishes. No big deal. No flooding. I can take a shower all willy-nilly like and nothing floods. And I'm so excited. I'm excited for you. (sighs) Thank you. So after this, I'm going straight into the shower. I'm going to be so excited. But um, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's basically the highlight of my week is that the plumber. Oh, and it wasn't as... Nearly as expensive as I thought it was going to be. That's always a nice price. Yeah. I thought it was going to be at like the least amount, like $600. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even 300 Nice. Beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the guy was really nice. He, we had to move all of the wood from the Libfest stage out of this little, little crevice that Steve had like put it in to get it out of the way. But that's exactly where he needed to go in order to like get the clog. Mm-hmm. Dude. People who lived in this house before me fucking flushed tampons down the toilet. Okay. You don't do that. I know that, but like that's, that was that they had to dig it out. I don't know. That I, was oh. the issue is that there was a bunch of tampons like shoved into the drain and that's why everything got clogged. Oh, gross. Nasty. I know. I know. Ugh. Ugh. 
But anyway, uh, I'm really excited for your story because I know what it is. And I know that I've I've heard about it before, but honest to God, I cannot remember anything about it except for that it is bananas. Well, we'll get it started with a quick uh, trigger warning. Heavily discussed uh, animal mutilations in this one. Ugh, yeah. Yeah, so, that does sound familiar. Just be aware going into it. Sherman Ranch is a property of approximately 512 acres southeast of Ballard, Utah, in a region known as the Uinta Basin. I keep pronouncing it wrong, so I'm going to... Uinta Basin. Okay, Uinta. It is more commonly known as Skinwalker Ranch. Now, how many times are you going to say that word? Quite a bit. Okay. Because you know how so, you're not supposed to, right? No, never heard that. Oh, it's supposed to summon them to you. Oh, well, in all, I'm saying it constantly with a space in there. So it's not the same thing. It's two words. Okay. So a few side notes. I have not watched the History Channel's The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch or watched it on Netflix or watched any of the various Skinwalker Ranch-related things. Mm-hmm. I have not read any of the in-depth books. Basically, I already had a hard time narrowing this subject down to uh. the point where I had to ask Brittany for an episode takeover. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought about it from a different angle, and I was like, well, as a normal human being without access to all of the various like you know different sources and resources all of these people have that make these documentaries what can i find out with the internet so this is my approach this is what i'm finding out with lots of research just on the internet and it is still a long one even without all those additional podcasts and tv shows and books right cuz otherwise you would have had to take over Several episodes. Exactly. Uh, the next little side note is that the name Skinwalker Ranch is from the Navajo Legends of Skinwalkers. But I will not be deep diving into that element. Um, I picked this story because of my love of UFO and extraterrestrial phenomenon. Yeah. Because this is, place is bananas. It has bananas. both... The SWs as well as aliens. What? You're like the people who won't say Voldemort's name in Harry Potter. No, that dude. <laughs> Part of the Navajo legend is you're not supposed to talk about them. I uh, don't know that much about the Navajo legend, and I get to that in a little bit. Okay. Well, now you know. So this area first came to attention nationally in the mid-1990s when the Sherman family, who had purchased the ranch in 1994, shared their experiences with Zach Von Eyck of the Deseret News, a Utah newspaper. Mm -hmm. The article first catches your attention by saying, Of course, everyone knows that humans are the only intelligent life in the universe. UFOs don't exist. All crop circles are faked by two English blokes. Cattle mutilations are carried out by laser-wielding coyotes. And Bigfoot will have a sizable bill to pay if he ever returns that rental costume. (laughs) 
But then it goes on to say, well, not everyone. Right. We know better. (laughs) We know. So the article goes on to tell the story of Terry and Gwen Sherman, who had purchased their ranch and for the last year of their life had experienced a plethora of UFO and bizarre paranormal activity. They lived on the ranch with their teenage son and preteen daughter and claimed to have seen three specific types of UFOs repeatedly within a 15-month span, as well as airborne lights that emerged from orange circular doorways that appeared to be in the air. And they videotaped two of the sightings. Oh. Can you find those videos online? I didn't look that hard because everything was part of those documentaries when I was Googling. Oh, right, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Even if you just type in Skinwalker Ranch plus UFO videos, you'd get a slew of things, whether or not they're the original ones or reenactments. Considering the current owner of this property has now trademarked Skinwalker Ranch, I'm guessing they probably have like proprietary claim over a lot of the stuff related to it. Oh, that makes sense. I I could have I YouTubed it a little bit, mm-hmm. but when I didn't find it very immediately evident, I just kind of moved on. No, that's that's totally fine. Totally fine. Figuring I will eventually start watching these documentaries now that I've done this research. Yeah, cuz it'll get you into it. This exactly. is the gate this is the gateway to all of the documentaries that are out there. At another point in their time there, they said they found 3 8 feet diameter circles and of flattened grass in a triangle pattern about 30 feet away from each other. So, crop circle. They also found a three-foot-wide, two-foot-deep soil impression in a nearby pasture and said that the dirt in the center was perfectly flattened. One night, one of the flying lights had followed Gwen's car on her way home from work. Another night, Terry had been out in a field on the property with the family dogs, And he said that he heard masculine voices speaking in an unfamiliar language. Even stranger, the voices seemed like they were coming from 25 feet above him. Oh. But when Terry looked, he couldn't see anything. Was he anywhere near trees? Do you know? He was in a field. Oh, he was in a field. Okay. the dogs, the dogs knew something was up because they were losing their shit. Apparently they were barking and growling and just being very uncomfortable before running off back to the ranch house without Terry. I mean, if I heard someone talking 25 feet above me and I was in a field, I would also be uncomfortable with the situation because that's not usually how how people work. Mm -hmm. The couple had linked several of these sightings to the deaths and disappearances of seven of their cattle. Four were gone without a trace. Three were mutilated. Quote, We've seen the UFOs enough, and we know pretty much what the crafts look like. And I think it's definitely associated with the cattle mutilations. When we see the crafts and then the cattle, we know we have problems, unquote. Yeah, it's it's fine if you hear voices and you see some pretty lights in the sky. But when they start going after your cattle, that's not cool. Hey, for people who have, like, cattle ranch, that's a lot of fucking money. That's just it. Yeah, that is their their literal income. That is their livelihood. And you said seven? Seven. Dude, cow. Wow. That's a lot of that's a lot of lost profit. The first cow was found dead in a field with a weird hole in the center of its eyeball. But they couldn't find any weird blood or any like viscera floating around. 
Otherwise, it appeared untouched and was surrounded by this strange chemical smell. And there was no other evidence of predators, footprints, tire tracks, nothing. Okay, that's fucking weird. It's the like a second cow. Poorly done lobotomy. It goes on because the second cow that they were able to find had a similar hole in its left eye and about a six inch wide, one inch deep hole carved out of its rectum. What? Same situation, no tracks, no nothing, but a weird chemical smell. Oh, I don't like that. It's like the it's like a the classic alien story of probing, but like to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And the last mutilated cow that was found was in a clump of trees at the edge of a field. It had a six inch wide, 18 inch deep hole cored out of its rectum into the body cavity. I feel very bad for these cows. There was no blood on the cow or in the snow because this was in January. Uh And the same chemical smell was present. There was a circle of broken twigs or branches around the cow, and the tops of the trees appeared to have looked severed. Even stranger with this cow, the Sherman's son had seen the animal alive only about five minutes prior to finding it in this state. What? That all happened in five minutes? Apparently. Dude, I don't like what's happening to these cows at all. The cows that had disappeared off the property, they specifically said they know they had seen at some point recently, and then when they went to go try to track them down, they would see where, like, the cow's footprints just stopped in the snow. Okay, I have a question. So, were the cows exsanguinated? Or was it just that there was no, like, evidence of, like, blood? So it could have been, like, they were killed somewhere else and then they brought there even though there was no evidence of that? That there was no other damage to the cows. Okay. But I did not look into... seems like something that they would have mentioned. Right. There's no mention of a cow autopsy, but I feel like if that was the case, they would have said something. I mean, I don't even think you have to do an autopsy to be like, hey, there's no blood in this cow anymore. (laughs) But I just meant at that point, if you're going with that, you could also look into removed organs or things like that. Right. Right. Which I feel like this is the type of thing that a vet would be like, maybe we should check this shit out. Yeah, I feel like they'd be like, "Mm, let's see what's happening here. I've never seen this before. So the Shermans went on to explain that other properties in the area had experienced problems with their cows and that they had heard from several ranchers that the reason that these like incidences went unreported was Mm -hmm. because when they had experienced cattle mutilations, and had it called the authorities, they were told that nothing could be done. So they felt like it was a waste of their time and effort to even bother mentioning it anymore. Okay. Okay. I love crime shows. I was a criminology major. There, even, even if you say there's nothing that can be done, if you see a, a pattern of behavior or a pattern of you know, cow mutilation, at least call so that there can be some sort of evidence tracked. And if the police discourage them from doing so, they are not good police officers. I have opinions on that, but... (coughs) (coughs) Anyway, um, at the time of the article, 
The Shermans had not relied on authorities with their paranormal experiences. They instead spoke to a retired junior high school teacher named Joseph Junior Hicks, who had investigated at this point over 400 UFO sightings in the area since the 1950s. Like he what retired as a teacher, teacher, but moved on to doing this. Oh, so he didn't do it while he was a teacher. I bet he dabbled when he was a teacher. Oh, I'm sure he and dabbled while he was a teacher. He had the best, like, spooky Mr. Hicks names. Like, because <laughs> kids are cruel. And also, I totally would have done that as well. Apparently, at that time, UFO sightings, reportings in the area reached into the thousands and had what? been associated with a lot of cattle mutilations. Hicks told the Shermans that at least a half a dozen eyewitnesses told him they saw living beings in windows of the UFOs when they reported their sightings that often had to do with cattle mutilations. What I tell y'all, bananas. bananas. The final straw for the Shermans occurred in one evening in May of 1996 when Sherman was outside with three of his dogs. He noticed a blue orb darting around in the field near the ranch house and he urged his dogs to go after it. Why? My guess what is, is he, happening to his cows? Well, my guess is he wasn't thinking about alien stuff. He was thinking maybe flashlights, something like go oh, get okay. these trespassers off the property. Sick him, boy. The dogs chased and barked at the orb as they followed it into some thick brush. Sherman heard them make three yelps, and when he called for them, they didn't respond. The next mm-hmm. morning, when he went to look for the dogs, he found only three round, greasy lumps and what appeared to be a scorched spot. The dogs were never seen again. No. Kayla. So, Teacher Hicks, Mr. Hicks there, considered the Sherman's case extraordinary simply because of the number, duration, and quality of the experiences. Like his dogs getting melted? mm -hmm. Yeah. But not because they occurred. Hicks considered it so common at that point that it was hardly surprising. He'd estimated that over 10% of the population in the Uintah Basin had experienced something or another and assumed that the sightings were other beings primarily researching and exploring our area. It is one of the most interesting things about UFO phenomenon when they, they, they centralize in a specific place. Like, why, why there? Was it the abundance of cows and dogs? Like, I don't understand. At the time, Barry Carr was the executive director of the New York-based Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, which I'm going to call PSYCOP. C-S-I-C-O-P. I don't know if that's how they call it, but I'm going to call it PSYCOP. I mean, it's much easier than saying the whole name over <laughs> yep. and over again. He said that many members of PSYCOP are open to the idea that intelligent life may exist elsewhere, but they just don't believe that life is visiting our planet and pointed out that there is no good physical evidence that we were being visited by another planet's beings. Quote, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There is no question that people see things in the sky that they can't identify, but it just means that at that moment, those things aren't identified. We don't know exactly what they saw. You can't take eyewitnesses' testimony for it. I have people who have told me elaborate stories about what they've seen, and you do some research, and it turns out it was a blimp. And when he was asked about the Shermans, he said, I think it's very unlikely what they're seeing is from another planet. Okay, I have so many thoughts on this person. One, what about the cows? 
<laughs> Two. What about the dogs? As for the cattle mutilation and the animals, he believed in a study that had come out in 1980 that determined that animal deaths in the area were simply the work of toxic plants and or predatory animals. Yeah, because predatory animals love to drill very precise holes directly into other animals' eyes or... Rectums. Rectums. Yep. I believe that's that what there's he more said. tearing that's usually involved. Mm-hmm. The teeth. But but this is this article, this is where it all starts, right? We've got the Shermans and Hicks saying hell yes, and Carr and other members of Psycop saying hell no. Yeah, the Shermans Shermans and Hicks are like five, and those other guys are like one. Exactly. But this article was just it. This was the start. The start of all the Skinwalker Ranch obsession and controversy. Speaking of controversy, let's address that name for a quick second. We'll just get this out of the way. Yep. As I said at the beginning, this story for me is largely UFO-based because of my love of exploring the idea of otherworldly entities. I am a Mulder hardcore. Yep, yep. I am also a Mulder. That's why I didn't continue on with my, uh, my original career path of going into law enforcement. Because I knew, I knew that I would dig deep and I'd find something bad, and then I would just the smoking man would try and destroy me. When you know, you know. But there is an element of this that is largely based on the people indigenous to that land. The Navajo legend of skinwalkers has received a lot of attention, thanks to the growing notoriety of Skinwalker Ranch. The exact origins of the Skinwalker legend is pretty ambiguous, though they are generally said to have been people or creatures with the ability to change their shape or take possession of animals and other people. These abilities are alluded to in a Navajo phrase that is said to mean, with it, he goes on all fours. Mm -hmm. The reason it's ambiguous is because, rightfully so, the Navajo are a very closed-off culture to outsiders. Which is why they came in so handy during, what was it, World War II with, uh, is it Wind Talkers? I don't, I don't know. Oh, uh, during one of the World Wars, the Navajo saved our butts by being able to, um, their language was essentially a code that other countries could not break. And so they would be the people who translate code to each other, and it was all in the Navajo language. Oh, I did not know that. To place this whole situation and story in a historical context, it's important to explore the history of northeastern Utah, in particular the history of the land before white people ever arrived and during their arrival. When talking about the area, a lot of people are quick to point out that the UFO hotspots that it's so popular for are near military complexes. What they're often missing is that Many of these hotspots are located or bordering neighboring reservations. Uh, Many people do not realize that the area of the country where most of the intense number of sightings and phenomena occur, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, is also the location of the great Navajo Nation. White Europeans, in their efforts to take over the land, brutalized the Navajo and forced them onto reservations. And in 1863, as part of the Canyon Shelley Campaign, 
which included Kit Carson and General James Charlatan attempting to starve the Navajo people. They mm-hmm. placed them into, you know, these the reservations and then they put a bounty on Navajo livestock. Dude. And so the reduction of Navajo livestock was the like a way that they tried to starve them out. And livestock are often a target of the strange phenomena, cattle mutilation. Also, skinwalkers can, in the film, some reports I found, reportedly be a cause for some of these other things like maybe the strange lights, uh, formations in the grass and earth, strange noises, etc., etc. So some people feel that the occurrences on this land might be associated with skinwalkers. Mm-hmm. But that is something I know nothing about and frankly do not feel comfortable going in depth into at all. Just a basic Google search will tell you that the injustices experienced by the Navajo people go back to the 1800s all the way through to today. Yeah. And those attacks are not just land-based, but all elements of their culture. The legends of the skinwalkers are a huge part of that culture. Yep. And tales of skinwalkers have been completely and totally changed and deformed and adjusted to white people for the sake of Hollywood and horror stories. Right. So most of what you're going to see is probably not going to be accurate to the Navajo culture because we've talked about locations and creatures that are influenced by indigenous legends on the podcast, but there are some that I just won't touch when they are very much entirely a part of that culture. Yeah, honestly, you can like search on TikTok and you can find a lot of indigenous creators who will mm-hmm. talk about such things and that is exactly who you should be looking for like looking towards to have that information exactly um i will say they are not wind talkers they're called code talkers and they use their traditional language to transmit secret allied messages in the pacific theater to combat uh, during world war ii so okay. navajo people used their language which was so complex that people couldn't break it that's why they hmm. called it code talkers. And that's how the allied forces were able to communicate without their messages being intercepted and then read. Okay, cool. Hashtag fun fact. So anyway, the the story of skinwalkers, not my story to tell. Totally not my story right. to tell. So I will not be exploring that angle any further. I think it maybe comes up one more time. And even so, it's just a quick thing. I just wanted to let everyone know why it's called Skinwalker Ranch and then don't get through like, you know, three quarters of the episode being like, okay, but she hasn't talked about skinwalkers yet. <laughs> if I if I could, I've definitely come across um, some indigenous creators on TikTok who have talked about it. If I can find those videos again, I will share them on our social media because I think it's an interesting story. And as long as the correct people are telling it, yep. I think it's something to look into. Absolutely. Okay. Anyway. So just because that article about Sherman is the article that caused the land to receive the massive amount of attention that we know it to be today and caused the whole thing to grow, it does not mean that those are the first reported sightings. Right. According to SkinwalkerRanch.com, reports go all the way back to the early 1900s. The first documented report seems to be a December 1906 newspaper article titled, Rumblings heard in the Uintah Basin. Strange noises cause new settlers much uneasiness. Did you say 1906? Yeah. 
Wow. In that, it states that many residents in Utah and the East Utah Basin have noticed occasional rumblings resembling explosions or distant thunder that can be heard throughout the section at intervals every calm day and night. From the fact that the mysterious noise is heard just as frequently in winter and in summer, and the volume of the sound remains almost constant from beginning to end, and they ran for 5 to 15 seconds with that volume remaining almost constant, and that there are never any single isolated reports, the explanation of thunder or like demolition or explosion blasts had been completely abandoned. Yeah. At that time, and this is the one other time it comes up, it, they, the article connected it to the noises, quote, being heard every quiet day since the former Uintah Indian Reservation was opened to settlement over five years ago, unquote. Oh, wait. Is that implying that it could be a result of yeah, they were the implying, reservation? They were implying that it was the fault of the Navajo people. Wait. The Navajo people or like the white people being dicks to Navajo people? Well, they just, they did not, they they weren't, in the newspaper article, they weren't going to say that it was white people being dicks. They were basically insinuating that it was the Navajo people. In 1915, Christopher Locke, grandson of Benton Locke, who I'll mention here in a second, Uh recalled a very strange, well, okay, how do I word this? I got to word this better. Give me two seconds. Christopher Locke told a story from 1915. He wasn't alive in 1915. Benton Locke was. So Christopher Locke recalls a story from his granddad, Benton Locke, that was from 1915, where they received a strange visitor to the property. Apparently, the stranger showed up at their house, apparently in period-appropriate clothing, but they could see a dazzling blue one-piece outfit under the period clothing. The stranger was kind enough. They asked for water and had a lengthy conversation with the family that owned the land at the time, uh, the Litsters. Uh-huh. After the stranger walked off and disappeared, the assumption is that the stranger told the family where not to dig on the property and where to dig. Okay. And that they found the information so amazing that and so helpful that they've passed that on from generation to generation and from former owner to next owner. So this is kind of a tale that's been told repeatedly. So this random stranger who is wearing clothes that they're like, yeah, that's legit. But then underneath, there is some sort of dazzling blue outfit. Mm-hmm. First of all, love the thought of a dazzling blue outfit on this stranger wearing boring old 1915 clothes. Anyway, he said, dig here, don't dig here. What were they digging for? I assume oil or gold. Oh, okay. Based on Um, the timeline. Probably oil. So did they they ever dig where he said don't dig? I don't know. They didn't go that far. Or they just were like, hey, if we just keep on digging where this guy said to dig, we are golden. Whatever they said was helpful and they felt like it needed to keep being told. So Interesting. Ugh, to be able to go back in time. Uh, Christopher Locke also said that 15 years after that, in 1930, was the first report on the land of uh, a cattle mutilation occurring on the property. 1930? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Wait, um, the original folks at the beginning of your story, what time period were they in the 1960s? 90s. 90s? 90s. 94 was when they moved onto the property. Wow. So this has been happening for 60 years. At this point, yep. Wow. And okay. it, that, that was documented. Now, granted, how much of this stuff was getting documented before? Because so 1906 was the report right. of the strange grumbling. But before all of that was the 1800s, and that's when people were forced on reservations, which obviously they're not telling everybody what they occurred before there. Also, I mean, even if it doesn't seem like a really strange situation, there's context in these later years as mm-hmm. as civilization goes on where you can be like, oh, this is a very specific thing that happened. Mm-hmm. People back in the 1800s could have just been like, hey – my cow died, and I'm not really sure what happened. There doesn't appear to be blood. That's weird. Yep. So these occurrences happened before Benton Locke had the property. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when the Litsters owned it. In 1945, the Litsters sell the land to the Locks. They tell them those stories, and then Locke passes that information on. Right. Um, he moves on to the western portion of the ranch after he buys it. In 1961, Locke sells the land to Edith Child Myers and Kenneth John Myers for $5,000. And they proceed to homestead the entire east and west portion of the 512-acre property. And in 1967, a wave of UFO sightings occur across the entire Unita Basin, and those occur for like a whole year. Lots of people in the area are reporting it. In 1970, cattle mutilations are suddenly very common in the Uintah Basin and around the Mm -hmm. ranch. To be a cow in the 1970s, man. Well, some of the people in the region adamantly believe the Shermans because of that history that we just covered that were all before that 90, like 96 article. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No concrete evidence of their accounts has been confirmed to verify their stories. On the other hand, the family was supposedly so terrified by everything they experienced at the ranch after they purchased this 512-acre property, this huge space, right. that they sold it just 18 months after moving in. Now, that seems unlikely. Like, flipping houses is pretty common nowadays, but it wasn't It wasn't then. And honestly, though, that wasn't a house flip. That's, that's a ranch. That's they land. had a ranch. Yeah. yeah. Like, this was a farm. This was a career. This was not them trying to flip some property. They were trying to live on this and they were like nope fuck this it only took three months for las vegas real estate agent and ufo enthusiast robert bigelow to take that property off their hands for two hundred thousand dollars so they bought it for five and they lost money on the deal no they bought it for five thousand dollars uh-huh and then the Bigelow purchased it for two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, two hundred. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a huge difference. Okay. Before he left the property, Terry Sherman reported seeing a wolf three times bigger than normal at one point. Mm-hmm. He shot it three times with a rifle at close range to no avail. And after Bigelow bought the property under the National Institute for Discovery Science (NIDS), things apparently got even stranger. Biochemist Colm Keller said that on the night of March 12, 1997, 
he saw something that was a human-shaped figure perched on a tree, and it seemed like it was observing the research team. Like, it just kind of chilled there, and it had uh, large, unblinking eyes. Keller said he fired at the figure because fucking shoot first, ask questions what? later. Like you're trying That's to communicate not how with we alien make friends. Life. You're trying to communicate with alien life forms, and you're all like, "Nah, let's shoot at it." Yeah, anyway. that's not how you make friends. That's how you make enemies real fast. And obviously, <laughs> they are way more advanced than we are. What are you doing? So he shot at the figure, but did not take it down. I mean, thank goodness. Imagine where we'd be today if he'd shot that alien. And so a lot of this, like the wolf specifically, and then it being a humanoid outside of an aircraft, also seemed to spur on more of the ideas that it had to do with Navajo legends. But as we said, the Navajo people are justifiably reluctant to discuss their legends with people who are not part of their culture. It leaves a lot of those theories to speculation and exaggeration. So people were just coming up with whatever the fuck they wanted there. Right. I mean, I can see a little bit of... Uh, trying to make sense and taking something that had already existed from the people who were in that area and trying to like fit it into a mold. But I can also see just uh, fucking racism being like, the Navajo did it. Obviously, they talked about this before. This is their thing. It's like, okay, first of all, they they don't don't like skinwalk. Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. Uh, Yeah. Alien though. It's an alien. So no matter what angle you take it from, Bigelow's Institute was intended to confirm or uh, debunk the existence of whatever beings in the area because they wanted to use modern equipment to gather evidence and say, yes, this is happening, no, or no, it is not. Uh Uh-huh. Kelleher uh, and an investigative journalist named George Knapp reportedly experienced nearly 100 incidences on their time at the ranch. In the end, unfortunately, those involved admitted that despite these numerous incidences, they have Uh difficulty obtaining solid evidence. So the ranch, like I said, was used during uh, Bigelow's time by the uh, National Institute for Discovery Science, NIDS, NIDS, Uh because I like to say NIDS. NIDS. (laughs) It's <laughs> better than ass. <laughs> One story was shared to the website that I had mentioned before, skinwalkerranch.com, which is just this big compilation of a bunch of evidence. Yeah. It was shared from a person who spent time at the ranch in 2003 to 2005 as part of an independent company that was working with the NIDS team. How, wait, how, does, does NIDS still own it? No. Manage This it? was back in that time. No. Yeah, but that's 2005. I mean, not to date myself, but that was when I graduated. Yeah, it gets more recent, but I'm going to share this part first because I'm trying to follow a general timeline. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I just was very surprised by how not that long ago this was. So this is a bit of a long one. I chopped up the story a little bit because the person telling it rambled a little, just a little. Yeah. Quote. Now, any of you who know how much about the ranch know that by the early 2000s, most of the events had died down. There were no more missing animals, no more crazy sounds or weird monsters in the darkness. 
The NIDS team continued to monitor the ranch, but short of the occasional UFO sighting or strange ball of light in the distance, there wasn't much to report. By the time I got there in August of 2003, it was like sitting on any old farm. We would just hang out, play cards, and monitor equipment for any magnetic abnormalities. I remembered one time on my second visit, I saw some lights in the sky in the distance, and I got really excited, but it turned out to be a plane. So life went on like that for a while. I would go to the ranch or the surrounding areas, monitor the equipment, answer phones, and feed the cattle and dogs. A couple of times, I had just missed an event by a day or so. I would get to the ranch, and some of the team members would tell me that I missed a flyby. After the fourth time going out there, I had begun contemplating whether or not I wanted to keep doing this. I was getting bored and the travel was getting a bit much. But on May 23rd, 2004, I finally had my first experience. Almost a year's worth of ranch hand work and it finally paid off in a big way. It was a bit past dinner time and we were sitting in the NIDS trailer. Outside, the dogs just started going nuts. I had never heard them acting like that before. So I looked out my window and saw a light being shined on the dog pen. I walked out with two of the other guys and we saw a ball of light buzz by the dog pen and off through the field into the line of trees. After a couple hundred yards, the ball curved down and flew off in a different direction and just winked out. Poof, just like that. My mind was blown. I had finally seen something worth noting. And a few days later on that same visit, I saw one of the fabled black triangles that had been seen a lot during the heyday of activity on the ranch. So when they say black triangles, they're talking about the floating black triangles UFO. that right. are one of the UFOs, basically. Okay. It was just after dusk, so the sky wasn't completely dark, and I got a call from one of the people living nearby saying they had just seen a UFO and it was headed in our direction. We were looking at the sky, and in a very short amount of time, we all saw a completely silent black triangle with one white light in the center. It didn't fly directly over us, but we did observe it flying over the property when it flew off into the distance. I wouldn't see anything again until early 2005. I got a lot luckier, quote, luckier, in 2005 <laughs> than I did in the other year and a half that I was there. February 12th of 2005 was one of the most eventful days I spent on the ranch. I decided I would take a walk along the creek. And to get back, as I was locking, I looked down and there was a large, perfect circle cut out of the ice. I was told something similar had happened before, but the last time, it was a circle cut into the ice about half inch. This time, the ice in the circle was removed. There were no footprints on either side of the creek bed and the ice wasn't cracked at all. Just a perfect circle taken out of the ice. Did, did, I'm sorry, did he say how big the circle was? The last one was a half inch, but... He did not say how big the circle was. Okay. When I got back, I put my jacket on the back of a chair, put my keys to the dog pen on the desk, and then sat down to eat some lunch. I was the only one in the trailer at the time, as the other guys were checking out the ice circle that I had pointed out to them. But about 20 minutes later, I heard some excited voices, and I went to check out what was up. The team was returning, but they were all looking up into the sky. As I looked, there was a solid black orb or ball-shaped thing flying around. It was pretty high up, but it was doing aerial somersaults. We watched for about three to five minutes before it just stopped and then kind of faded away. Dude, that's so cool. 
So we were all very excited about what we had just saw, and we're obviously talking about it. The day we're on, and we were all abuzz with what had gone on that day. As night started to fall, it was time to feed the dogs, and the keys to their pen were nowhere to be found. This party rambles a bit, but basically he says, we looked everywhere. Everybody helped him look. It wasn't just him. Nobody could find him. And then later in the day, they got back, and the keys were just magically back where he had set them originally. What is up with these extraterrestrial beings and disliking dogs so much? <laughs> Can't feed them. Vaporize them. The, this author also pointed out that he knows they took pictures of these occurrences, but because he wasn't a member of the NIDS team, he has no idea what was actually done with the photos, and the only photos he ever saw were actually on the digital camera, and they were very blurry, so he doesn't know where those went. Ah. And he said, to be honest, I wouldn't be as surprised if a lot of this stuff was suppressed. Isn't that the way it goes, though? Unless it's 2020, and then the government is like, Hey, do you want to know about the aliens that we keep seeing? We got we got some information for you. Also in 2005, there were strange sounds, the dogs acting strange, and occasionally lights in the distance. Nothing too weird until one night in mid-December of 2005. In the trailer, it was just me and one of the Nids guys. We were sitting around playing cards. Suddenly, at the exact moment, the air felt electrical and the dogs outside started going nuts again. But this time, they sounded scared with yelping and whining and the like. No, oh, not the dogs. I got up from my seat to look out the window, but I couldn't see anything. I looked over at my partner, and he looked kind of dazed. I started to hear a sort of faint buzzing sound, and then it repeated itself. My partner kind of nodded and said, we need to go outside. So I followed him out to the trailer, and he looked up into the sky. I also looked up, and at first I didn't see anything. But after scanning for a few seconds, I did notice a spot in the sky that was somehow darker than the rest. I couldn't make out the exact shape, but I could tell something was there. He was looking straight up at what I thought was some sort of object in the sky, and he told me he could hear it, but I didn't hear anything at this point. I'll never forget his face. It was almost a look of awe, but kind of trance-like. After about one to two minutes, there was a quick, bright flash of light in the sky, the electrical feeling in the air vanished and the dark object was gone. He turned to me and told me that they had spoken to him. He told me, and I don't remember word for word what it was, but that they knew what we were doing out here and that they were doing the same thing, only our roles were reversed. They also told him something like they were going back to work. I wish I could remember the exact way he worded it, though. It was really chilling. Had I not been present for that day, I highly doubt I would believe a word of it. But the look on his face and the way that he related to me had me becoming a true believer. Now, I will say that report specifically was uh, submitted anonymously. Okay. Uh, is that the end of it? That's the end of it. Okay, so I have some thoughts. First of all, um, so was he there with NIDS? He wasn't yeah. an official member, but he was there with them. Yeah, it was okay. like an independent. He The way he described it was like an independent contractor that worked with them. What an amazing way to get people who are interested in aliens to do farm work. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently had to do all of the farm work. You are correct. What a great way that to get is, them to do that. Totally true. Uh, second... That initial story of the little light 
that just kind of like zoomed around. Not alien. Fairy. Totally a fairy. Look, oh, you're going to have skinwalkers and we're going to have aliens. We're going to have fairies too. I bet Stop all trying of to the magical find creatures your way to are force there. Fairies into my narrative. Fairies are the greatest creatures ever and also the scariest creatures ever. Someday I'm going to deep dive into like various kinds of fairies and you're going to be so happy. But that obviously sounds like motherfucking Tinkerbell. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, The third... I don't know if I had a third point, but those are my two main ones. I'm gl- I'm glad that those nids folks got got a, some really good farm hands out of being like, come come hang out with us. I wonder if they got paid. Did they get paid, or was this a volunteer position? Uh they didn't say. Okay. Well, I hope they got paid because they were basically hired hands, um, who also looked for aliens. Oh, third, the the ice thing. Now, as someone who has grown up in a place with a lot of ice, not right now, it's hot right now, but... You about to bring up an auger? Yeah, but there would be tracks. He's very specifically said that there was zero tracks, and like even augers, they leave like a little bit of a a lump of Oh yeah, no, I was just making sure that you weren't going to use that as like a... An argument. I was like, no, absolutely oh, not. No, no, no. It out. definitely sounds like lasers. Yep. Because there was nothing. So obviously something didn't touch the ice around it and yet cut a hole. And that's a perfect circle is not really something that happens naturally when you're just like cutting ice. You have to do something to make that happen. So yeah, I'm thinking lasers. Guess nice. who has lasers? Aliens. Aliens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, we're right there. <laughs> um, when NIDS was disbanded, the organization was quickly replaced by the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies, or BAS, which Wait, was what? more secretive, and and it was apparently working towards having a government sponsor. They, that was their aim. In 2007, the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, ATIP, was a secret investigatory effort funded by the United States Defense Department to study unidentified flying objects, primarily on Skinwalker Ranch. In the next several years, $22 million were spent on the program, which investigated reports of unidentified flying objects and was run by military intelligence official Louise Elizondo from the Pentagon. The shadowy program was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, who was the Nevada like Democrat who was a Senate majority leader at the time and had long held an interest in space phenomena. He was also a longtime friend of Robert Bigelow. This information, though, at the time was not publicly known. Uh, That wasn't released until a New York Times article in 2017 when the story broke. The Department of Defense officially confirmed the government-funded program, and Senator Harry Reid admitted his complicity in the program. So at the time of all of this happening, they were very secretive. Now we know about it because of a, like, New York Times article that all came out. For the Bigelow folks right in the end those involved with all these different programs with all their different acronyms 
had difficulty obtaining solid evidence, and Bigelow sold the ranch to a company called Adamantium Real Estate Holdings in 2016. Today, the ranch exists literally for the people who want to explore UFOs and otherworldly phenomena. Armed security and surveillance exists 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The remote location was involved with a Pentagon-funded black budget studying UFO activity, cattle mutilations, strange phenomena, blah, 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 and is now a living laboratory for studying other intelligences and possible interdimensional phenomena. Okay, I love that their company is entirely named on a fictional metal. (laughs) Brandon Fugel of Adamantium Real Estate Holdings, who bought the ranch in 2016, told Newsweek, Skinwalker Ranch is the most scientifically studied paranormal hotspot on the planet, with the highest frequency of documented UFO sightings, bizarre cattle mutilations, electromagnetic anomalies... Anomalies. 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 <laughs> no, anomalies isn't correct. <laughs> Anon. Anomalies. Anomalies. <laughs> and unexplained phenomena. Unquote. Fugel, who was a real estate tycoon, initially bought the property through that Shell Corporation because he wanted to keep his identity a secret. He said he acquired the property from Bigelow with the purpose of conducting scientific research to see if there was any validity to the claims. Uh Uh-huh. Although he acquired the ranch as a skeptic, he eventually had his own undeniable close encounter, a UFO sighting in broad daylight with multiple witnesses, and he was convinced, and that's when he's like, no, that's fine. I'm totally cool with, like, slapping my name on this. I, I think if that your name is based off a fictional metal from a comic the shell, book. No, the Shell Corporation is. His name okay. is it. His name yeah, is Robert Yeah, but like, dude, dude. But that's just the whole you, point. That's why Shell Corporation exists. Everyone knows you're a nerd. Just <laughs> take it, love it, be who you are. Yeah, but some of us are more dedicated and some of us actually change our names to pop culture references. Thank you very much. I think this is the time that we need to get the reference of your last name. I feel like I've said it before, have I not? I don't think so because I don't know what it is. I okay, was literally so Kayla just Moria. Uh huh. Moria, like the mines of Moria. It means black pit and elvish. Sean and I named ourselves after Lord of the Rings. I literally did not know that. <laughs> and I was at your wedding. I was your DJ. So now when people do that Midwest thing that they love to do where they're like, oh, uh, like my former last name. Oh, uh, Shapersky. What is that? That's uh, is that Russian? And I'm like, no, it's Polish. Blah 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 blah. Right. When they do that, now they go, oh, Moria. What is that? I go, Elvish. Elvish. <laughs> I and I can explain I if I want that. to, but I don't have to. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Actually, I love a good situation where people just say it, and then walk away, <laughs> and then you're just like, wait, what? What? Oh, bravo. (laughs) Bravo. So when Flugel was asked whether he purchased the Skinwalker Ranch to make money off of the paranormal claims, he said no, of course. Uh He said, I have yet to put a penny in my pocket personally regarding this endeavor. In addition, I have never intended to reveal my identity as the owner, requiring strict confidentiality agreements and liability waivers. 
I kept and my yet? identity as the owner secret until being persuaded to go public in connection with the History Channel docuseries and our ongoing investigations. Today, the ranch's scientific project is run out of a command center, which is a high-tech hub designed by plasma physicist Eric Bard. The property is wired with surveillance systems and set up to catch any strange activity at any time. And in the last few years, numerous people on the site have become sick with mysterious illnesses, and many employees at the ranch have had disquieting experiences, even the head of security. The head of security said, I thought it was all a bunch of crap. Then one night, I'm out in the bedroom of the ranch house, and I'm lying trying to get some sleep, and then all of a sudden, bam, something slams into my bed. It's like when your kids jump onto bed with you or something, but someone big need the bed. So I sit up, turn on the lights, and nothing's there. Unquote. Okay, are there ghosts now? Well, I don't know. That that was the only one I descri- that I found that was described as like inside the thing. So maybe it's the ghost of one of the cows. Um, I just want to let you know that I googled BigelowAerospace.com. Okay, they have a website. I know they do. Um, Sadly, there are no job opportunities available. <laughs> but in the future, if we'll just... you are looking into it, there might be some. Uh, <laughs> they have a lot of different programs, which you can find on their website. Uh, Robert D. Bigelow, founder and president and program manager. So, the head of security story. Yes. That was just one of the many stories of people who have visited or been employed at Skinwalker Ranch have told. In an interview Look. with George Knapp of oh. Las Vegas's CBS 8 News Now, Dr. Mm. Travis Taylor, one of the principal scientific investigators on the History Channel program, The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, I gotta talked watch about this. how many people have experienced something called the hitchhiker effect. Oh, tell me more, Kayla. So we kind of rambles, so here we go. Well, I can tell you this, George, and this is the part that really scares me the most, is GPS signals over the ranch, and sometimes it stops at the fence line of the ranch, not just the region, get jammed and stop working, and even are spoofed to make vehicles think that they're underneath the surface and not where they are. And this could cause airplanes to crash. We've actually had drones crash because of this many times. And these aren't just Uh little cheap drones. I'm talking $50,000 drones. And that's a pretty impressive drone. And this is a dangerous thing. If someone has a technology that can do that, they could pick a region and make GPS quit functioning. And then you're going to have airplanes that could crash. You could have automated drones that are going to crash. You would have vehicles that follow GPS systems. I mean, there are so many things that could this affect. And if it can do that to GPS, you can do it to other things. So this is a capability that's happening, some kind of phenomena that's happening that could potentially be a threat. Y'all thought I babbled there. No, this is a word-for-word thing off of the interview. I didn't think you were babbling. I assume that's what he said. He <laughs> seems like a pretty intense fella. So when, And I bet he said it more intensely than you did. <laughs> so when Knapp asked him to expand upon that, he said, Yeah, and you know, we're always nervous to talk about the hitchhiker effect because we might stimulate it. We don't know what causes it. But 
Could there be a physics explanation? And then he goes on to say a bunch of stuff about quantum physics and quantum entanglement that I don't understand to the point where I didn't want to ramble it like I rambled the last bit. But the summary is you talk about the strange occurrences and you're likely to take them home with you. Basically with you trying to get me to stop saying skinwalker repeatedly. Like it's it's that kind of idea. So he continued explaining the hitchhiker effect by going into his personal experience where he said I have seen some things and some things that my car has started and stopped itself sometimes it's the electronics and they'll be weird for no reason and then they'll be fine it's actually had that happen once driving out of my driveway my car just turned itself off and then I happened to get out because I was wondering just curiosity and I thought well if I'm at the ranch and we'll get out start looking around. So I get out of the car and I looked up and there was an odd vortex in the clouds above my house. When this happened, I can't explain that. I'm just saying there are these correlated events. I don't have any other data to go along with it, but that's that weird piece of data. When I got back in, the car cranked right up. So if you didn't catch that rambling, what he was saying was he got out, his car wouldn't start, like it just stopped. And he was connecting it to stuff that had happened at the ranch so he got out, looked at his house. There was a vortex above his house. He got back into his car, but then his car started right up and he connects it to what happened at the ranch. So Fugel says he is aware of the hitchhiker phenomenon, but has not experienced that himself. He says, thankfully, I have not had that experience personally, but I do know members of my team and visitors that have had those experiences. Strange activity following them home and even terrorizing their family. It is a known fact that numerous participants, including military operatives, refuse to ever set foot on the property again due to the negative experiences they have had, including phenomena following them home. Even Mr. Bigelow has had experiences that have followed him, resulting in his refusal to ever visit the property ever again. Ooh. Fugel may not have experienced the hitchhiker effect, but he has had his own experiences on the ranch, that experience I mentioned earlier with the multiple witnesses. Uh-huh. He said, six months into our investigation, I had an experience while entertaining a visiting dignitary and his security detail that involved an undeniable sighting of what can only be described as a 40 to 50 foot long silver grayish disc-like object that performed maneuvers that were stunning and defy conventional explanation. Fugel stressed that this sighting was in broad daylight and included several witnesses, and after that sighting, they continued to experience paranormal phenomena. During that same afternoon, we experienced everything from our smartphones being completely drained from about 80% charge to zero and other electromagnetic anomalies, even acute medical episode that attended the incidences that occurred on that fateful day. While Fugel may have been pretty open to discussing what's going on at the ranch now, what with the TV show and all, that uh -huh. obviously wasn't the case years ago when the military was trying to hide all of this shit, which I will continue. To, I've talked about in the past on other UFO related episodes. I will continue to talk about in the future. But if you do want to find out what we can find out for right now, what is open to the public, you can the blue book check out. Well, you can Google the blue book or the um, project blue book. You can also project watch the Skinwalker Ranch uh, on Netflix. And I believe there's also other documentaries on Hulu 
and several books. I just did not use all of them because we are already at an hour and 23 minutes. And I did, I freaking barely scratched the surface of this shit, I swear. Because it's bananas. It's fucking bonkers. <laughs> but that is the basic, most easily found, Googleable, no scholarly sources, just basic bitch scratching of Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Fuck yeah, bud. That was so <sighs> good. Dude. I love that so much. <laughs> I, you know how I have a very complicated relationship with uh, alien stuff because I'm obviously a mini little molder, and he was all about the alien stuff. But I also uh, I I like both believe and I don't believe. I believe fully, but I also don't believe most people. But <laughs> oh my god. I do still say that, uh, what is it called? Nids convinced a bunch of people to just come and be hired hands. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. But anyway, so I know what I'm rating this. You know what I'm rating this. But Skinwalker yes. Ranch, UFO style, yes. on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one. What are you, Brittany, the alien skeptic, going to give Five. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. I was so ready for you to give me like a no, two. No, it's or obviously three. a five. You cannot have okay. these stories from before aliens were even a cultural phenomenon without it being real. Obviously, I believe in aliens. I just don't believe in people bullshitting about aliens. <laughs> so, I want to thank everybody for joining us on this my birthday episode. I've already rambled in your ear for much longer than we normally have an episode. But of. I love it. It was so good. I don't know what it means, but I love it. Um, Yep. Uh, we love you all so very, very much. Um, Happy Spacey Wednesday. Babe, you are cutting into your normal spiel. You're cutting to the end. You have to talk uh, about shit. the... The I'm sorry, I'm stories. so fucking hot. Yeah, I know it's I'm real so hot. I know. Hot. I'm sorry. All right, so if you have any listener stories, check us out on leftoskeptic.com. Uh, you can check out the link tree in our bios. You can go ahead and give us your name if you feel comfortable. But either way, please give us your pronouns because we obviously want to be able to identify you as you. You can also follow us on social media. We are on <laughs> Instagram. Twitter and TikTok at Left of Skeptic and on Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. And as Kayla said, we very strongly appreciate you. Happy motherfucking birthday, Kayla. Thank you. Thank you for handling that for me. I'm losing my mind. I know mind she's in this hot, she's hot fanning room. herself very furiously. <laughs> <laughs> I've like sweat dripping. Literally down dripping. I have a uh, blind shake t shirt that I've been like just dabbing my face with this entire episode because I am <laughs> so sweaty. With that, we're gonna get out of here. Thank you all very much. We love you. Have an amazing spooky Wednesday and Bye. Bye. Oh, I'm a monster. <laughs> the 
Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Thank you.